This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Today's episode of the Analytics Podcast is brought to you by Pulse Cellular. Pulse Cellular was created to give a better option for everyone out there looking for premium wireless phone service for less cost. With straightforward plans, no strings attached, no confusing fine print, no BS at all. They got you covered nationwide in the United States with unlimited talk and text, with premium, fast LTE data plans, hotspot coverage at no additional cost in all 50 states, the Caribbean, Canada, and Mexico. Plans also include unlimited free Wi-Fi calls internationally. When calling United States lines, there are no credit checks. There are no contracts. There are no overage costs. Like I said, no BS here. Go visit PulseCellular.com and find out for yourself that life is better with Pulse. And on that note, let's do it. If you're a loser, tune in and you'll be a winner. It's the Moranalytics Podcast. Talking Buffalo sports, Yankees, WWE, 80s music, and pop culture. And now, here's your host, Patrick Moran. All right, podcast fans, what's going on? How you doing? What's up? Welcome to episode 127 of the Moranalytics podcast, presented by Pulse Cellular. Today is Tuesday, June 11th, got a good episode for you today. I'm really excited about this one. Something different as well. I got Melissa Holmes, WGRZ TV Channel 2 in Buffalo, morning show co-anchor, reporter, multimedia journalist. You put the title on, it really doesn't matter. Whatever you want to call it, Melissa is one of the best at it. She's going to be my guest today. Really excited to have her on. And like I said, something a little different. Typically, my featured guest is involved in sports somehow, whether it's uh, sports media or an athlete, something like that along those lines. And Melissa obviously is not, but I'm just, I've always been a fan of hers and interested in her career. So we're going to spend some time talking about that. Of course, Melissa, if you're from the Buffalo area, you know, she's been on TV now for about a good 14 years, the last seven or so at Channel 2. She had a nice seven-year run at Channel 4 before going to Channel 2 in 2012, early 2012, she went there, been at Channel 2 ever since. And like I said, I'm just a, a very big fan of hers and have always found her interesting. So I reached out to Melissa. Actually, to be completely honest with you, I reached out to Jay Skursky, who's her husband. And of course, he's the Buffalo Bills beat reporter for the Buffalo News and a buddy of mine and someone who's been on this podcast twice, including just as recently as a couple weeks ago. I told Jay to have Melissa reach out to me on Twitter so I could send her a message, give her some details, and told her that I would be very interested in having her on the show today. She did, 
And that's what we're going to do today. So I'm going to put her through the ringer a little bit, have one of those pull back the curtain type of interviews where the objective is for you fans out there listening to have an opportunity to get to know Melissa Holmes a little better beyond just the work that she does on TV. We'll spend some time talking about her growing up in Western New York. Melissa is Western New York, born and raised, growing up in Amherst. Talk about her childhood, the point where she knew that what she wanted to do with her life, what she wanted to become, why she went to Syracuse for college. Spend some time talking about her life around her job, her sleep schedule, which is crazy. Well, crazy to us, but to her, it's the norm. It's what she's known for quite a while now. Again, she's been on TV for the last 14 years, and almost all of them have been morning shows. So her sleep schedule is far different than the majority of us. We talk about that, some personal stuff, her relationship with her husband, Jay, how they met. That's a fun story, a close talker story. You're going to definitely want to hear that. Lots of fun things to talk about with Melissa. Like I said, just an interesting person, a true Western New Yorker, one of Western New York's biggest advocates. In fact, we talk about that as well. Lots to get to with her. Really fun interview. So I got that coming up for you. Immediately after my chat with Melissa, I have the debut of a brand new segment on this podcast. Yay! It's going to be called The Big Boy Theory. And just let me take a quick minute here and set this up. So I'm a big fan of a podcast. I don't know if you've heard it or not. It's called the 716 Sports Podcast. And basically what it is, is just a bunch of guys who get together. They tape on Monday nights, grab a couple beers, whatever it is they do. And they just shoot the shit talking Buffalo sports. And not just Bills and Sabres, by the way. They talk bandits, Buffalo Buttes, soccer, all kinds of stuff like that. They do a really good job. Very underrated podcast. And it's out usually on Tuesdays. In fact, after you listen to this, go look for that. Again, 716 Sports Podcast. Anyway, not to keep plugging them. I like that crew. And out of them, Jeff Boyd is on that crew. I am a big, 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 big fan of Jeff Boyd. He is an outstanding sports broadcaster, first and foremost. He does play-by-play for FC Buffalo, the Buffalo Buttes. I think he's done work with the Junior Savers, UB hockey, stuff like that. He's just got a really good voice and he's a very knowledgeable person with witty and intelligent sports takes. And I said, this is a guy that I really want to get on this podcast. So I reached out to him and I said, it would be great to have you on, not every week, but from time to time. And we'll just talk sports, primarily hockey. I want him to be my primary hockey guy. Now I have other secondary segments on this podcast. If you're a regular listener, you already know. I got Pat with Pucks. I got the running with Joe. I don't have a name for Aaron Quinn's segment, but me and Aaron Quinn from Cover One, we get together sometimes, talk usually Buffalo Bills, NFL football, stuff like that. I really like Jeff Boyd as a hockey guy. So when I want to talk hockey, I'm going to be seeking Jeff out. And again, the segment's going to be called The Big Boyd Theory. As much as I love Melissa Holmes, as interesting as she is, really didn't think she had Jeff Skinner takes. And with Jeff Skinner signing a nine-year, $81 million contract, I had to have him on. I'm talking about Jeff here to talk about that. So that segment debuts today. Busy episode, a lot to get to. I've already spent way too much time here battling at the top. Let's get right down to business. Here is my chat with Melissa Holmes from WGRZ TV Channel 2 in Buffalo, followed immediately by the debut of The Big Boyd Theory. 
Okay, my guest today has been a mainstay in the Buffalo local TV news scene for the last 14 years, including the past seven plus with WGRZ-TV. She's the co-host of the Channel 2 morning news show Daybreak and one of the more popular Western New York TV news anchors and also a huge advocate for Western New York, which we're going to talk about. I'm talking about Melissa Holmes. What's going on, Melissa? How you doing? Hey, good morning. Thanks for that nice intro, Patrick. I I appreciate that. I'm flattered. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm flattered to have you on the show. Usually this is a podcast that I have a lot of sports media guests, but I wanted to do something different. Like I said, you're one of the more popular newscasters around, so I'm excited to have you on. And I kind of want to keep the format the same, though. I want to go back kind of to the beginning for you. You grew up in Amherst. What were your hobbies? What were you into as a little kid? Yeah, yeah. I'm a local girl. I went to Sweet Home and um, I was a total theater geek and um, yeah, like musical nerd. So even though I went to Sweet Home, I did the musicals there. And then I also did musicals and plays and stuff with St. Joe's um, Collegiate Institute, which was really fun as a high school girl to be one of the only girls walking the halls of St. Joe's <laughs> with all the boys. Uh, but they needed girls for their musicals, so I, I spent a lot of time there. Um, but I, I danced growing up. I always wanted to be a rockette, and so I, I had hoped to graduate from high school and maybe like take a year off from college and go audition to be a Radio City rockette. But I was actually too tall, which is Shocking, but I was 5'11". I am 5'11 and a half, super, super tall. And um, the cutoff for Rockettes is 5'10 and a half. Uh So my Rockettes dreams were dashed. (laughs) I uh, had to figure out another road. (laughs) (laughs) Now, were you a sports fan at all as a kid? Obviously, you married into sports, if nothing else. We're going to talk about that in a little bit. But growing up, I mean, you knew knew the Bills and Sabres were around. Did you follow them at all? Oh, yeah, but you know, I grew up thinking that your Buffalo sports teams and the Bills were just supposed to be that good. I mean, I was eight, nine, 10, 11 years old when the Bills were in the Super Bowl. And so, like, you grow up as a kid thinking, well, that's what that's what football right. is. They're supposed to be, you know, Jim Kelly and Thurman Thomas and this amazing team. Um, you know, then reality really struck after that and I realized that um being a Buffalo sports fan is a little bit more painful than than those glory years but um yeah I loved watching sports and also um I grew up in a hockey family my dad played hockey forever and then he coached and um he coached Amherst hockey my brother played hockey so I kind of grew up at, at going to hockey tournaments and um you know, just knowing what those 5 a.m. practices were like because I was dragged to the rink with my dad and my brother. And we also have a racing family. The Holmes family um, up at Lancaster Speedway is a pretty famous name up there with Ross Holmes, who drove Lazy 8, and then Bobby Holmes after that. Those are all my extended family members. So I have a pretty um, strong, you know, sports background, but I'm tall and I have absolutely no coordination whatsoever. (laughs) Sweet. I mean, it's really sad because Sweet Home, when I went there, had a legacy of amazing girls volleyball. Oh, yeah. Coached by Sally Kuss. Yeah. Yeah. Sally Kuss was incredible, a legend. And she actually asked me not to try it out for the team because I was so uncoordinated. So I, you know, wished I I could have played basketball or volleyball, but um, that was just not in the cards for you know, me at all. It's funny you mentioned that. I actually remember that sweet home girls volleyball era. You can make a strong argument that that was the most dominating sports team in Western New York high school sports 
male or female of any sport. I mean, they like never lost. I remember they that. never lost. Yeah. I mean, I don't really know what their records were, but you just knew like this team was not a team that anybody could beat. And right. it was just, um, you know, iconic in the sports world. And unfortunately I played no part in that team whatsoever, <laughs> or maybe fortunately for them. I suppose. <laughs> we'll get to your career in a minute. It's, it's obviously it's been a really good one. Let me ask you this. Okay. Do you remember the first time we started thinking to yourself that, broadcasting might be something that you wanted to do with your life. When did you first get that itch? Were you a little kid? Were you in high school, college? When, when did that happen for you? Okay. So it's actually a really kind of interesting story about how I got into it. Um, and I, yeah, I absolutely remember the first time I thought, gosh, I really kind of want to do this. So way back when I was in high school in the late nineties, um, Reality shows weren't a thing yet, but PBS, Public Broadcasting, started putting together this, like, reality show that I kind of describe as an educational road rules, like road rules on MTV, but it was an educational version of that for high school kids. So I was nominated by my AP European history teacher, Mr. Biscalia, from Sweet Home, to like compete in this educational competition where the winners, there were 10 high school students from across New York state. We were chosen to go um, and travel the state with a film crew and ask questions and do interviews and do these really cool activities. And then they'd make it into a TV show that would air on PBS and also become like supplemental teaching materials for schools. And so I was selected. There were 10 of us. And so, it was actually hosted by Mike Rowe from like Dirty Jobs, Mike Rowe, who's really, really famous now. But back mm -hmm. then he was a nobody. Right. <laughs> and so he hosted it. And we went from we went to New York City and did stuff on Broadway. And we did like agricultural stuff in Syracuse. And then we did the Underground Railroad in Niagara Falls here in Buffalo. But being with the film crew and having to talk and write and um, ask questions and get my questions answered, it really like that was the spark that made me think, gosh, I really kind of want to do this in some sort of way. And that's when I started to think about journalism. So that was my sophomore and junior year of high school. And I was like, okay, this is what I want to do because I don't want to do theater. I don't want to dance. I don't want to do anything like that because I really am not that good. So I don't really have the future in that. But um, I really loved writing and being in front of the camera, I guess you could say. And then just being inquisitive and knowing that if I had the right tools, I could, um, you know, get my questions answered. And so that's kind of when I, why I got into it. So that was called New York Expeditions or New York Wired. And, um, and that, that was it. That was how my, my love was established. And then, um, I knew that Syracuse had an incredible journalism school, the SI Newhouse School of Pub Public Communications. And I, um, set my sights on that and was like, laser focused on getting into that really competitive school. And once I got in there, the rest is history. Yeah. You went to Syracuse for college. It's very common for media folk, many sports media people that I know and that I've talked yeah. to before they're from there. Is that the biggest reason why you decided to go to Syracuse? Also, I like asking people this question too. I don't know why it just interests me, but were there other schools that you considered going to for college or was it Syracuse a hundred percent all the way for you? <sighs> 
Syracuse was my number one school. I liked, obviously, that it's a good distance from Buffalo, too. You know, this is my first time moving away, but I knew that I could come home on weekends if I really wanted to also. But um, the other great journalism schools are... um, Northwestern and Arizona and um, UNC Chapel Hill. Those are all good schools. Mm-hmm. Um, and Columbia. And so I also applied for Columbia, made it, uh, you know, was accepted. But um, I I just knew that Syracuse was, was my greatest. If I could get into Newhouse, then I knew that I had to go there and I would be an idiot for not going there. So you started to get known in Western New York around 2005. You went to work for Channel 4. But before that... Some of the experience that you mentioned, a producer, WTVH in Syracuse, a reporter at Acre at WSYR 9. How much of those experiences help you before you ultimately would get a job in your hometown? Having that experience, being on air and just being in the business, how much did that help you early on? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's good to be able to make your mistakes in a smaller market because you're going to make them. I mean, I I was so nervous the first time I went on the air for my first live report where you don't have a teleprompter and you just need to know your stuff and be comfortable in front of the camera and um, learn how to work on deadline and and follow stories and, and know what sources to call and get, you know, f- track down a story and get it turned in a day or multiple stories in a day. You need to learn that in a smaller market. And that's what life in journalism was like back then when I started. Now you can kind of start in Buffalo. It has kind of become a way that like a starter market here, but I was so happy to be able to learn learn there, learn how to how to do the job, and then come to Buffalo a little bit more refined. I mean, let's face it, I still had a lot to learn when I came here, too, um, as a 20-something, but at least I could um, really figure it all out in Syracuse. And um, so it, it was great to be there after I graduated, you know, working for about a year and a half, but I always knew that I wanted to come back to my hometown and work here. And um, how did that opportunity come about for you? How did you end up back in Buffalo in 2005? How did that opportunity come about? Um, so it was Miles Harrison over at channel four knew a guy that I worked with, like a legend, Rod Wood, (laughs) His real name, yes, Radwood, um, in Syracuse at Channel 5 there, um, W, um, or Channel 9 there, WSYR. So Rod called up Milas and said, there's this girl, Melissa, she's great, you're going to want her. And so Milas put in a good word with the news director, and I, but I actually applied for a job at Channel 2 and Channel 4 at the same time. I did not get the job at Channel 2, but I did get the job at Channel 4. So I took the job at Channel 4, and... Um, started on the the wake up show as the reporter there and um was at channel four for seven years most exclusively in the morning so this crazy morning shift is pretty much all i know and so then i was at channel four for seven years and then um now i've been here at channel two for seven years how did that opportunity come about to go to channel two from channel four like i said you kind of made your bones you made your name at least among the mainstream public at channel four and then in 2012 you joined Channel 2. What was that process like for you? Was it a difficult decision? How did that play out for you? So, you know, we work under contract here in Buffalo. Sure. And sometimes you sign a two-year contract, three-year contract, four-year contract. Um, my contract was expiring at Channel 4. Um, and I, I, I just 
had a vision of where I wanted my career to be. I wanted to be a news anchor in Buffalo and have some longevity and, and feel like, um, and, and I wanted a mix of reporting and anchoring. And I just didn't know if that would be in the cards when I was at channel four, it would have kept me on. I could have stayed there, but I just didn't think that it was in the role that I really wanted. Um, so I, uh, fortunately, uh, the folks at channel two knew that my contract was coming up and I knew that my contract was coming up and just, uh, the world's, uh, stars aligned. And I started talking with the folks over at channel two and, um, and it just happened that they they offered me something. I could take it back to four and, you know, work this whole crazy contract world on my own because I didn't have an agent. Mm-hmm. And um, and I just was able to make the leap over. And so actually when I started at Channel 2, I started as the 10 p.m. news anchor. Marissa Bailey was anchoring at the time, and she was leaving to go to Chicago, which was a great move for her. Right. And um, so I was able to kind of take over that 10 p.m. shift. And I was on that for about a year before Jody Johnston, another amazing anchor here in Buffalo. She decided that she just, um, you know, was kind of done with this business and wanted to try something a little bit more nine to five and be there for her family. And so she was leaving. And so then I was able to um, move into the daybreak job. So I've been the daybreak anchor here now for um, six of my seven years that I've been over at Channel 2. And it's crazy hours, but I love love, love my job and, and being the, the news anchor in the morning on the daybreak show and then going out and reporting on stories afterwards. I shoot and edit my own stories. And so I have a little bit of um, flexibility and creativity and I can do all of that in um, when my daybreak shift is over and, and the morning news is over. You're on the air like before most people get up. <laughs> the average person gets up. Yeah. I'm sure that took a lot of getting used to sleep-wise what your sleep schedule is like, how long did it take? How big of an adjustment was that for you to say to be on the news at 10 o'clock at night? Now you're on the news. Like I said, I I think at like what, five o'clock in the morning, every, every day, how how big of an adjustment is it? I I drive to, I drive, I drive to work when people are driving home from bars. Um, I see a different, a different world here in Buffalo. Um, so, but the morning show and this shift is really all I've ever known. I mean, with, besides that, uh, 10 o'clock shift that I did for a year, I really have done mornings exclusively in my career. So I see 2.15 a.m. when my alarm goes off every day, you know, that's 2.15 and that's the middle of the night for a lot of people, but that's like 7 a.m. for me. I just have to kind of change my my frame of mind and change my thinking and just see two o'clock as my morning. So, um, I, yeah, I wake up at two fifteen, do my hair and makeup and stuff at home. We don't have people who do that for us. We don't have people with a wardrobe here and our hair and makeup glam squad. That doesn't happen here. So I do that at home and try to tiptoe around to not wake up my husband and son. Um, get ready at home. And then I'm into work at three 30 and I'm on the air at four 30 
And the shift, uh, the show goes from 4.30 to 7, and then we do news cut-ins throughout the Today Show, like little local news updates, yeah. and those go till about like 8.30. But I actually stay here and work until noon each day, so 3.30 to noon is my schedule. Then I go home, I try to take a nap, because I usually don't go to bed until about 10, so I sleep from 10 to 2.15, which is just not enough sleep for anybody, right. four and a half hours of sleep. Um, so I try to take a nap, and then my son comes home from school at 2.30, 3 o'clock, and then I'm mom and wife the rest of the day and have a pretty, you know, long day entertaining a five-year-old and feeding a husband and doing stuff around the house and doing errands. But it's really, in this business, it's like really the only shift that I could do to work full-time and be a wife and a mom full-time. But it's also nice because if I want to go to a Sabres game or if I want to go to a little league game or, you know, go take in a show at Shays in the middle of the afternoon or, or, you know, middle of the week in the evening, I can do that because my evenings are free every day. So it's kind of cool that there's some flexibility. But yeah, I would be lying if I didn't say I was tired every single minute of every day. It, it just fascinates me that schedule, whether it's yourself. I've talked to like some of the radio, sports radio morning guys who are Similar to you, they're on the air. Well, you're on a little early, in fact, a lot earlier, but they're on at six in the morning. So their sleep schedule is completely different. It's just, it's just fascinating to me. But you, like you said, you get used to it. It becomes second nature. It's what you know now and you plan your life around and you make the best life around your schedule. And it obviously it works out for you. Well, you get to do a lot of things that maybe you wouldn't do if you were working a nine to five. Exactly. Yes. It's nice being able to go out to dinner and, and, have some flexibility and on the weekends I am not like my former co-anchor John Beard he would still get up at two o'clock in the morning on Saturdays and Sundays that's not me at all if I if I'm allowed to sleep in I'm going to be sleeping in and trying to catch up on the sleep that I missed throughout the week I actually notoriously before I had kids and I'd go out to I'd go out drinking a little bit more. I'd go to bars at night and sure. I would literally fall on, fall asleep on the shoulders of friends. One of my friends, Joe Scarcella and Mike Sengbush, um, both of them, I would fall asleep. Uh, Gordon's doesn't exist anymore. The bar was Gordon's and people would come up to Jay, my husband, um, who was my boyfriend at the time and say like, what did you do to her? Did you drug her? Is she like super wasted? <laughs> but it was just me just Exhausted. literally sleeping because I was so sleep deprived. So, <laughs> uh, so, but I still try to manage to go out and have fun. <laughs> sure. Now, I'm sure there's plenty of cool things about your job. What do you consider the coolest part of your job? What's the number one thing that you like about your job more than anything else? Um, I just think it's meeting people who have stories to tell. I mean, I just get to meet the coolest, most inspiring, um, fascinating people in Western New York. And I get to tell their stories and sit and chat with them and, and, um, you know, share what's exciting about them with our viewers. I mean, yeah, I used, I also am a part, I play as play some sort of role in every big story that happens here in Western New York, because I get to tell that story on the news as well. So, I mean, I've covered incredible stories that have captivated Western New York, like the search for Ralph Bucky Phillips or the search for the bike path rapist, the November storm as you know, we're telling people to stay inside. I'm, going out there and doing live reports in the middle of a blizzard or sitting at the anchor desk for 12 hours doing, you know, live coverage for hours on end to tell people the stuff that they need to know. So 
um, yeah, the crash of Flight 3407 and um, big story after big story. I just love having a part in all of that and, um, you know, helping to create, you know, life events in Western New York, being playing a small role in it and letting Western New Yorkers know what's going on. It's just really exciting for me to be able to do all that. Now, on the other end of the spectrum, one of the things you do is, like you said, you chat with people, you do stories, you interview a lot of people, and not everybody has a lot to say. Can it be difficult sometimes? Like, for an example, I have this podcast, and now I have Melissa Holmes on as my guest. This is cake, man. I ask you a question, and you know how to go on, and and that's awesome. But on the other end, sometimes you might have a guest on, or you, in your case, you're interviewing somebody who continuously has one or one sentence or even one word answers. Can that be difficult sometimes when you know you got to really carry a conversation to try to get out of it, what you're getting out of it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. You get pretty creative with storytelling. Um, You certainly do. And especially I, I now do a feature called great kids. Um, so I get to just tell fun stories about kids who are doing awesome things, but kids can be terrible interviews. So I just have to find ways to work around it when you, but now that I'm a mom too, it's like, I know how to, get what I need to get out of my five-year-old so I can, I can connect with kids also and be able to tell their stories. Um, so yeah, sometimes you get in the middle of an interview and you're like, this is just not going where it needs to go. But, um, you find a way to work around it in other ways, I suppose. Yeah. And you report on news and on people and there's a very, very much a human element side to it. I'm sure you get attached to some of the people that you've done features on through the years. Are there one or two stories that you can remember doing that rank among like the hardest stories that you've ever done just because you felt like an emotional attachment to somebody as you got to do a story on them and know them a little bit? Oh yeah. Um, easily right now. Um, it's a story that I've been covering for three years now and hands down, it's a story that has just affected me personally and, um, professionally, I suppose, too. But um, it's the story of Kim Valencourt, who is um, from the town of Tonawanda. She is a wife and mom of six kids. Um, Two of them are biological. Three of them she adopted in um, about three years ago. And then as like a couple days after that adoption went through, um, she found out that she had glioblastoma, has glioblastoma, um, brain cancer. Oh, wow. She, o- yeah, she only went to the doctor because she had headaches and she was pregnant at the time. And so when she was pregnant, she's like, oh gosh, I probably should go to the doctor because I just want to make sure that the baby's okay and I don't know why I have these headaches. And that's when they said that she had a brain tumor and she needed to have emergency surgery to have the brain tumor removed. And then she'd have to go through chemo and radiation. And she said, okay, I'll have the brain tumor removed, but I don't want chemo and radiation because I don't want it to affect the baby and I want the baby to be okay. So I'm going to put my life in danger in order to protect my unborn child. So here she is with three adopted kids. She's pregnant with her six. She's got two kids at home, one, a husband who works and, um, she's got to, you know, quit working and, and take, try to take care of her family and survive this terrible disease. And the doctors gave her a year to live. And that was three years ago. So she is 
a miracle. She's a walking miracle. Yeah. Um, the babe, the baby is okay, but the response from the community to her story and her faith in God and her um, her bravery—I've just never seen anything like it. I mean, we are the city of good neighbors, but I have never seen people reach out and say, "How can I help? What can I do?" Um, it's just remarkable. And so every time I want to complain about either being tired or being annoyed or being overworked or being stressed out, I think I have no right to complain because Kim Valencourt never complains a day in her life. And she is, um, you know, she doesn't know how much time she's got left on this earth and she doesn't complain and she just lives every day to its fullest. So that's definitely a story that um, I will, never, ever, ever forget because she just is so incredibly awesome. Her family's great. And the response from the community has been overwhelming to, to support her and, and try to lift her up and, and take care of her family. So, so that's definitely one that will stick with me forever. Yeah. That really puts things into perspective when you think about it. <laughs> Switch gears here. How do you feel about social media, particularly Twitter? You're in this new age media. I think that you understand the importance of social media how important it is in today's world and as a news person, how you use it to your advantage, like everyone else getting your stories, your stuff out there instantly that thousands of people could see. That's the good part. On the other end, it could be a very ugly and nasty thing as well, especially like Twitter. And I'm sure you've probably experienced a little bit of both. I know Jay has at some point as well, where you just get these <laughs> trolls out there whose only purpose in life is to, are to take shots at you. You don't get behind a keyboard and say whatever they want and just be mean and nasty. It's a very tough world to balance sometimes, isn't it? Yeah. And you know, it's sports media. People are very different from news media people on social media also, because I feel like the sports guys can be a little bit more snarky in their responses oh, to sure. those trolls. Big time. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Or a lot more snarky. Um, I'm not allowed to be like that. I really can't. I have to, you know, you want to be sharp, but you also don't want to be rude. And um, yes, there are lots of trolls out there. I fortunately have not had too many really, really negative experiences and I have to have a thick skin. I mean, I get people, yeah, there's people who are saying they don't like my clothes. They don't like my hair or makeup, but if that's their biggest problem with me, then I'm okay. Um, So I think I've learned how to grow a a thicker skin. Um, And, but just having a, uh, thinking out my response before I type it and press send is a really important thing. Um, you know, seeing maybe sometimes, you know, bouncing it off Patrick or Pete and say, what do you think about this response to this person before, before I do it? Um, but social media is also weird because, you know, I have to use it for professional reasons, but I also do it for personal reasons too. And sharing stuff that I'm doing with my husband and my son. And I know that the viewers like to see that, personal side of me and the home side of me and not just the on-air side. So um, figuring out that balance of what is, you know, too personal or private or what I should share is kind of interesting also. And I sometimes, you know, I certainly have to bounce stuff off of Jay and make sure he's also okay with pictures that I post of him before I put them out for my 13,000 Twitter followers and whatnot. So it's it's an interesting dynamic. Who are a couple of your biggest influences in the media like people that have influenced you the most okay so i mean there's 
a ton of professors that I've just idolized. But um, I think growing up, I I would watch Katie Couric and Matt Lauer on the Today Show. And I was like, God, I kind of want, I want to be like her. She's just so smart and she's just so bubbly and she's so fun. And, um, but really, really smart. And so I, um, I loved watching Katie Couric and just kind of idolized her and said that, you know, that's who I want to be and what I want to do. Um, and I'm trying to think who else. Um, I, I, I love watching 60 minutes. I mean, I, I will tune into 60 minutes or tape it every single Sunday. Cause mm-hmm. I, I just think that those long form smart stories are just so important. Um, and that kind of journalism is, it doesn't really exist other than that format. And so I, I just, um, I love that. Um, and, you know, I just am a local news fan also. So every time we go on vacation or I'm visiting a different city, I love to see how other stations do local news because there's such a difference between the 24-hour news networks like CNN and Fox News and the networks. And then local news is a completely different animal. And and that's why I love staying in local news. A lot of people ask me, do I ever want to go national or um, bigger markets or network level. And I just, it's not my cup of tea because I really feel like connecting with a community and my community, my hometown in particular, is just what I want to do and where I want to be. So that's why um, I love just watching and appreciating people in other local news markets. Well, let me tell you what, I've lived in Buffalo most of my life and then I moved to Florida a couple of years ago in the local news in Florida is not as good as Buffalo, man. I'm not just saying that because I got you on the air with me right now. I mean, <laughs> Buffalo local news. I think some people take you guys for granted, just like the city itself. I think people take Buffalo for granted when they're there. Oh, for sure. And then when you leave, you start to understand how good of a city Buffalo is. Whether, it, like I said, the news, sometimes the weather, people actually hate the weather until they leave. Obviously, the food. I mean, I could go on and on and on about the food and, and, you know, just the nightlife and stuff like that in Buffalo. It's just you guys do such a good job. And I've been I'm a I'm a news person, too. Like, I like to watch the news and down here. I'm not going to name names or stations or even the city. Not going to call them out, man. I'm just going to tell you, Melissa, it's not the same down here. I, I promise you that. Let me ask you this age old advice question. All right. You never know who may be listening who you may influence with your words right now today for anyone out there who may be interested in having a career in the same field that you've carved out for yourself. What's the best advice that you would give them? My advice for anyone who wants to go into journalism and and television news in particular is don't think it's all glamour being on TV because you have to be willing to do it all and pay your dues. And by doing it all, I mean, I'm out there in, you know, 10 degrees in stilettos, right, <laughs> you know, walking right. through the snow, carrying, carrying my tripod and my camera and my equipment and going out and getting the interviews and coming back and sitting at my computer and writing and editing and 
um, doing web stories and making the phone calls and doing the work that goes behind it. So it's not just standing in front of a TV and having people do your hair and makeup because that doesn't happen. And I worked every single holiday and every single weekend and worked lots of overtime. Um, it's, it's just not all the glitz and glam that you think television news is going to be. And you just have to learn how to do it all. They call they don't call us reporters and anchors anymore. They call us multimedia journalists right. because we have to be willing to do so much. So, um, so my advice is learn it all. And, um, and also one other piece of advice is learn from those around you. Don't think you know it all because I, I think the people that I learned from the most were the photographers that I was paired up with before I became a photographer myself. Essentially you get paired up with the guys who have been doing this forever and you just have to be humble and know that there are a lot of people who know a lot more than you. So you should be learning from those around you in order to, to better yourself. All right. Good stuff. So as a lot of people know, okay, you're married. Not everyone knows this, but a lot of people do. You are married to Jay Skirsky, the Buffalo Bills beat writer for the Buffalo News. Someone I consider a buddy and a dude who's been on this podcast twice now. I just had him on a couple weeks ago, in fact. I want to hear from you, your story. How did you guys meet? What's the story there? How did you guys hook up? Oh, my God. We met at a bar. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, well, yeah, we it was Cosmo, which doesn't exist anymore, the bar on Elmwood um, right. with a great outdoor patio. Um, and I was out with a bunch of my girlfriends, and he was out with a bunch of his guy friends um, in 2000, July of 2007. And um, my one of my friends went to school with one of his friends back in high school, so they kind of reconnected and was like, oh, hey, how's it going? And then our groups of friends started talking, and um, Jay and I started chatting that night and <laughs> kind of funny. Um, one of, one of his friends was a super close talker and he was talking to me so much and was really making me nervous. And I was kind of tipsy <laughs> and I couldn't handle him as a close talker. So I said to my friend, we got to get out of here. So we left before Jay could get my number. And, um, he, Jay told his friends that we, need to meet back up and to try to connect our groups again so that he could get my number and finally like actually talk to me without me having to like get out of the bar too quickly. So anyway, so he managed to get our groups together and then we had a second date and a third date and the rest is history. So we are going on, on, on New Year's Eve, we'll be celebrating our 10th anniversary and yeah, we've been going strong ever since. I suppose. <laughs> so you guys were able to make it work in spite of the close talker. That's awesome. Yes. And he, he turned out to be in our wedding and he's still one of our most dear friends. So, and he, yeah, he's That's aware awesome. he almost ruined it for both of us. But <laughs> um, yeah, so we, he didn't, he didn't really know who I was, even though I was on channel four at the time. Um, his friends knew who I was, but he didn't, he didn't know who I was. Um, and I really didn't, he, he actually wasn't at the Buffalo news yet. He was still at the Niagara Gazette covering the bills, but he was at the Gazette. So, um, he hadn't made that switch yet, but we both kind of have an appreciation for each other because we know what the journalism field is like and the media world. And so we kind of connected on that level, certainly right off the bat. Now, have you gotten comfortable and used to being recognized? I'm sure pretty regularly you've been on TV for a long time. People know your face. Well, Whereas with Jay, Jay's a sports writer, and that's just typical of sports writers. They're, they're the, the People see their words. They don't always see their faces, but they associate your face with you because you're on TV all the time. Has it been, like, was it a process for you to get used and comfortable to being noticed, like, when you go shopping or go out to dinner or wherever? I'm sure people notice you plenty. 
Yeah, I mean, when I go out in public, I think most of the time I get the the looks of like, I feel like I know her from somewhere. Where right. do I know her from? Because I look really different in person. First of all, I don't think people expect me to be as tall as I am. So they just don't think it is me because they don't expect me to be almost six feet tall. Um, but, it, and I also don't, <laughs> I don't, I don't look the same <laughs> in person. I wear a lot less makeup and I have my hair in a ponytail and stuff. So I'm a little, I'm not high maintenance at all. So um, they, I also look a little bit different when I'm at the grocery store. But um, Jay and I always laugh. Like we, I really enjoy it when people stop us to talk to him. You know, there are some people who follow him on Twitter and are oh, sports sure. fans and have no idea who I am. But they they say, "Oh my God, Jay, I follow you on Twitter. I love this." And they start talking sports, and he it makes him feel good. Obviously, when he gets more attention than I do, so um, it's. So it's okay. I mean, people in Buffalo are really nice, though. A lot of times I'll get emails or Facebook messages from people saying, I saw you out to dinner, but I didn't want to bug you and, and interrupt you. And, and that's very nice. But at the same time, like, it's Buffalo. I'm not I'm not that big. <laughs> you know, I'm not that famous. And so if you want to stop me and say hi and, and give me, you know, just say that, you know, you enjoy watching Daybreak, I'd love that. And I'd love to, to meet people. And, you know, I talk to a camera all day, so it's nice to actually meet the people who watch the show. So yeah. I really do appreciate people saying hello and I'm not annoyed by it at all. Sure. Can I don't I talk- think Jay's annoyed by it either. No, he's not either. I talked to Jay about your son, Elliot, the last time he was on and I saw a video of him hitting a golf ball. That kid's got like an incredibly natural looking golf swing. Me and Jay talked about this a little bit. How much of a joy is it for you? How much joy do you get out of watching him enjoy sports? I'm talking about Elliot. For being such a young kid, I mean, he talks about, Jay talks about how much he loves sports. I mean, like I said, I watched this kid at a golf ball. You don't look like no five-year-old swinging that golf club right now. I'll tell you that. And it's, but just not just that, the, the bonding that you can have with Elliot because of sports and not just that because of Jay. Obviously, Jay's a sports guy. You know, that the bonding yeah. that comes from that. How fun is that for you? It's It's incredible. Like, first of all, I've never... I've never seen a five-year-old hit the golf ball like Elliot. So that just blows me away in and of itself that he can outdrive me. He crushes it. He I mean, crushes I'm not, the ball. I'm not a, yeah, he crushes it. And he just gets up and he swings. And it's totally natural. He's never had a lesson in his life. And he just and it's not just driving it. It's like his iron shots. He gets under it. He gets it up in the air. He can aim it. He knows what he needs to do. And he's just been a natural since he was two years old. I mean, he, we took him to the dome and he would just crush these balls and never miss them. So it's just this innate kind of weird talent. Um, and he's in tournaments now. And that's fun because I'm a nervous wreck. I'm biting my nails off. Jay's caddying for him. And I hear him like saying swear words under his breath, but not trying to let <laughs> Elliot know he's upset when he's got a bad shot. But Elliot just has a blast. He has so much fun with it. So it's great that he loves the sport. It's I love that golf is a non-contact sport right. and you have to be a gentleman when you're out on the golf course and he knows all of those rules and as a five-year-old teaching him to be patient as he was waiting for somebody else to putt that might take a little bit longer, 
you know, he's learning a lot of skills that will help him as he gets older. And he's also an amazing baseball player. This coordination, the eye-hand coordination yeah. with him being able to hit a ball is just crazy. And so it's fun to be able, I'm, I'm learning how to be a boy mom. Because as we talked about earlier, you know, in the podcast, I grew up dancing and theater and all that girly stuff. So now to be able to play catch with my son and learn the golf rules so I know what I'm doing if I have to caddy for him, it's it's fun for me and it's really good bonding. So um, I'm enjoying this um, new world for me of not just watching sports, but, you know, being a part of them some way with Elliot. Last question here, and then we're going to wrap with the lightning round. One of the things I really like about you is that you're one of like Western New York's biggest advocates around. You're always out and about, and I'm not just talking about work, like you're emceeing events, you're doing a lot of charity stuff, things like the art festival. I, I mean, you pretty much are out and about everywhere. You're just a big Western New York advocate. Like I said, what is it to you about Western New York that you love so much? You've pretty much have spent the entirety of your life there. Like if somebody, all right, let me ask you this. If somebody who's never lived in Western New York before was thinking of relocating, I feel like, and they asked me what it is, I would say, talk to Melissa Holmes. You know what I'm saying? She'll she'll sell you on Western New York. What is it about Western New York that you love so much? Well, I mean, I think that, you know, Buffalo has this nickname of being the city of good neighbors, and we truly, truly are. We live and breathe that reputation, and it just makes me so proud that people will go out of their way to help each other in this city and to celebrate each other. When there's something good happening, everybody in Buffalo just wants to be a part of it, whether it's the food or the sports or the, um, you know, the ways to celebrate the weather and the changing seasons here. There's just always something to be proud of. And I think the fact that Buffalo has gotten such a bad rap across the country as just being, you know, a terrible city, it just makes you want to prove it even more that we're not that way and that we are up and coming and growing and just a cool city. Like I love Buffalo and with Austin and Charleston um, as being like a city that just is kind of underrated and it's just so cool. There's just great people and um, the people are the the backbone of this city and um, and I we have we had a bright future we had a bright past. I know that we've got a bright future too. Um, the resurgence in this city is something like I've never seen and um, I'm just so excited to be able to be part of it and to, to raise my son here and to keep my family here forever. I, I love this city. And so, yeah, I am one of the biggest cheerleaders, I think. And, and I love every part of that. You just sold me. <laughs> no, seriously, <laughs> jokes aside, for, and, and everything you said is, is sincere. About three years ago, I left and I'm going to be honest with you at the time, I couldn't get out of Buffalo fast enough to come down to Florida. And I'm not trying to, to hate on Florida, but at this point, our son is going into his junior year of high school. So we are committed for another two years, he's playing high school football down here. But I can tell you right now, me and my wife have had conversations, and it's because of things like you just said that when he's done with high school, we're one hundred percent moving back to Buffalo. I'm really looking uh. forward to it. I really am. I, I seriously, I am. But anyway, enough about me. Here's what what I want to do. We're gonna end with a mini lightning round. I do this with all my media guests. I'm just gonna ask you a handful of random questions. Not a lot of deep thought required. Kind of like one of those rapid fire things, man. Well, whatever the first thing that pops in your mind, that'll be your answer. You good with that? All right, let's do it. All right, let's go. 
What's a nice, relaxing activity that you like to do for yourself? Uh, watch the Real Housewives of Beverly Hills with a glass of wine on the couch. There you go. Okay. What's your favorite city that you visited? Uh, favorite city. Um, Jay and I went to, we went to Greece together, so it's a country, obviously, but we went to Mykonos and Santorini. And But Mykonos is this amazing party city in Greece, and the most beautiful city I've ever seen, and the most awesome nightlife. So, Mykonos, for sure. All right, all right, that's cool. Who was your first celebrity childhood crush that you can remember? Your first real true celebrity crush? <laughs> oh, my God. Um, um, it was Mark Paul Gosler, Zach from um, Saved Save by, by the, the Bell. Bell. <laughs> <laughs> yep. All right. But then I also switched between Zach and Mario Lopez, you know. So, I, yeah, I was back and forth between the two. But I was, I was team Zach most of the time. <laughs> What movie have you rewatched probably more than any other? Um, <laughs> probably The Notebook. Yeah. Chick okay. Flick, Sabi, you know. <laughs> yeah. Love that one. And, oh, and Anchorman, of course. I mean, I've probably seen Anchorman 5,000 times. <laughs> All right. This one might be a little tough. Name a TV game show that Melissa Holmes could potentially dominate, whether it's a current TV game show or a past one from when you were a kid. Name a TV show that you would have loved to have been on that you think you could have done well. Okay, I'm, I'm shockingly good at Wheel of Fortune. I really am. I can fill in those those uh, categories really, really quickly. Jay and I actually do play Jeopardy every single day during dinner. We um, we That's our routine. So, oh, wow. um, But Jay and I are like equally good at Jeopardy. Um, but I also um, am pretty good at, like, the $100,000 pyramid. I've always wanted to be on a game show. That's, like, one of my, like, bucket list things is I really, really, really want to be on a game show. So hopefully we can make that happen one day. <laughs> All right, here, we're going to wind down. This might be a tough one. I don't know. You're, this is Fantasyland, okay? You're on stage at karaoke, and in this world, you're the best singer in the bar, man. You grab the mic. <laughs> What song are you going to rock out that's going to get the crowd on their feet singing along to you? What's Melissa Holmes' signature karaoke song in her own mind? Oh, no. Um, God. I, well, let's see. I love... <laughs> okay. I, I currently can do... Wannabe from the Spice, Spice Girls. Girls. That's like, <laughs> oh no. Um, and I love Don't Look Back in Anger by Oasis. I okay. love that one. All right. That's good. All right. Last mm. couple here. We've spent a lot of time talking about your career. What happens if you had never gotten involved in broadcast journalism in any capacity? Or let's say that you did go to Syracuse, you gave it a shot, and it just didn't work out for you. What do you think you may have went on to do with your life? Jeez. Um, it's hard to picture you doing anything else. It really but. is hard to think of me doing anything else because this is all, I know it's so cliche, but this is all I've ever really wanted to do. But I think that I would probably um, go in, go into law. I, I did take the LSATs. I was thinking about going into law school. So um, I, I would probably, you know, have somehow do something in the the law field um pretty boring so oh, okay. that's definitely but you know i it, it's 
I, I don't know. Yeah, I did. I took the LSATs and was really seriously considering going into law school um, rather than, um, you know, after I graduated from Syracuse. So maybe something in, into that field. All right. Well, you definitely made the right decision. Second last question here. Who's your favorite Twitter follow? Like if you were only allowed Twitter said, you know what, Melissa, we have a new policy and we're taking away every person that you follow except for one. You can only follow one person or one handle on Twitter. What would it be? Um, I would follow, um, geez, I, I am a really diehard Stern show listener. Oh, really? So I might follow, but how, but Howard doesn't tweet very much, but maybe like something Stern show related because I, then I feel like I kind of had the best of everything with like staying on top of, um, you know, crazy things in this world and, uh, and, and having that Howard spin on it. So maybe that. Okay. Last question here. The same one. I always ask my guests, you could have three dinner guests from any era, dead or alive, any era ever. Who would you have? Who's at your table? Three people. Oh, geez. Um, okay. Well now we've talked about a couple of them. I think I would definitely have, Howard Stern, because mm-hmm. I just am dying to pick his brain. I think he is just the most fabulous interviewer ever to grace the planet. So I, and he's just so incredibly fascinating. So I do him, my journalism idol, Katie Couric, and, um, and just to make um, Jay and Elliot very proud, probably Phil Mickelson, so we could talk about golf. And he is so, he's just awesome. I love nice. Phil. He's so quirky and he's just so uberly talented. And then maybe I can just get more advice from him about how to raise a future PGA Tour pro. So, uh, yeah, Phil Mickelson, Howard Stern, Katie Kirk. Perfect. All right, everyone, give Melissa a follow on Twitter at 2MelissaHolmes. Of course, check out for weekday mornings on Daybreak Channel 2. This was awesome. One of the few non-sports guests I've ever had on this podcast, and I'm I'm so happy to have had you on. This was awesome. Oh, I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. It was a lot of fun. Thank you. Hi, my name is Matt Cundell, and this portion of the Moranolytics podcast is powered by my company, mattcundellvoice.com. If you need a voice for your company videos, narration, e-learning, Maybe it's your radio or TV ad, or even your phone system. Consider using my voice to tell your story. I'm not only a sponsor of this podcast, I'm also a regular listener, wrestling fan, and longtime supporter of the Buffalo Bills. For more, check out mattcundlevoice.com or click on the link in the show notes. All right, time for a brand new recurring segment on this podcast. I'm going to call it the Big Boy Theory. It's not at all a ripoff from the famous TV show. I'm joined by Jeff Boyd from the 716 Sports Podcast, a dude that I've been hunting down for a while now. What's going on, man? Thanks for hooking up with me finally. What's up, Jeff? How you doing? No, I'm doing good, Pat. It's good to be here finally. After I know we talked about this a while ago, so it's good to finally get this together here. Yeah, definitely, for sure. And I want to talk about your podcast in a minute that you do with the guys at 716. And then the reason why I got you on today to kick this segment off, that's Jeff Skinner. But first, let's do a little mini meet and greet with our listeners. Tell them, tell our listeners a little bit about yourself, some of the things that you do. And and I'll tell you what, this is just as interesting for me too, because 
this is legitimately the first one-on-one conversation that you and I have actually ever had. So I'm going to learn a few things about you just the same as our podcast listeners. What's up? So, yeah, so I'm a lifelong born and raised Buffalo sports fan, which means I've seen a lot of downs, a couple ups, but um, big Bills, Sabres, Bandits, lifelong fan. Um, and the reason I got to meet the guys at the 716 Sports Podcast, which which I record and I'm a part of, is I got connected through a buddy of mine when they were looking for someone to do local sports play-by-play. So my into the podcast and what I do a lot in my time now is I do play-by-play for the Buffalo Buttes of the National Women's Hockey League, uh, the Buffalo Junior Sabres of the Ontario Junior Hockey League, uh, UB Ice Hockey, which is a club hockey team over here for the University of Buffalo, and then for FC Buffalo National Premier Soccer Team. We did some basketball for a while. Um, and then in my free time outside of that, I'm a big music guy. I love music, and I also host bar trivia. So basically, just give me a microphone, let me roll. Um, but sports are the true passion. So it's exciting to be here on the show, Pat, talking some good Buffalo and non-Buffalo sports here with you. Yeah, You know what, dude? I could tell. You, you just got that natural sound to you that it really caught my attention. The 716 Sports Podcast, I enjoy that immensely. It's on most of the time you guys get together on Mondays and you record an episode that drops on Tuesday mornings. The same as this, exact same as this, actually. And one of my favorite things about the podcast that you guys do is it's not, it, it's, there's plenty of Bills and Sabres talk, don't get me wrong, but it's not exclusive to just those two teams. I feel like for somebody like myself, and I'm being completely honest with you here, man, I'm not much of a Bandits guy. I know next to nothing about FC Buffalo, except that Nick Mendola, a guy who I really like, is involved with that. The Buttes, I knew absolutely nothing about. I could have named you two players on that team, with the exception of listening to your podcast. So I feel like when it comes to those teams, besides just the mainstream Bills and Sabres, in some ways, I feel like I'm kind of getting an education when I tune into that podcast every week. Is it a lot of fun to put together? Like, what's the process? You guys just hook up on Mondays, shoot the shit. Like, do you have a little outline that you guys are going to go through? Do you, how, how many notes do you have? Or do you guys just do a lot of winging it? I mean, to be honest with you, I walk in completely blind with a beer in hand, and I just sit down and talk. When we, Once we get to the actual podcast itself, uh, we have like a Slack chat that's going throughout the week. So we're, we're always communicating with each other. I work with two of the guys from the podcast. So we see each other four or five days a week, as it is anyway. Um, but at this point, I think it's more fun. We, we know what we like. We know we want to talk about what Bill's topic. We want to talk about what Sabre's topic, what Bandit's player we're talking to. But outside of that, we try to keep it more natural conversation. We don't want it to feel forced or regimented or scripted. It's just, you know, we want you to feel like you're just in a room talking with your buddies, talking sports at a bar, which is how we outline the show when we begin. And we try to keep that feeling of it as we move forward with the show. Now, I had some of you guys on this podcast right around Christmas time last year. You were on Justin, Mike, Steve. And like I said, man, I'm a big fan of the podcast. And I like all those guys, but I'm especially a fan. Your voice and and your takes just really caught my eyes, or I should say my ears. You just have that. There's just some people are natural at doing it. Not to, I mean, I don't need to hype you up, man. People are going to find out for themselves that are listening to this as we start to get into stuff today and in future segments and stuff like that. But do you feel like just speaking and talking, whether it's covering a game or just talking sports, it just comes nice and easy and natural for you. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's, it's always something I wanted to do. Um, like when kid, little kids want to become like a fireman or a policeman or something, I always wanted to be specifically a sports broadcaster commentator. I want to be Van Miller or Rick Jenneret. And I've 
tried throughout my life and there wasn't always avenues to do it, but whether it was like hosting small radio show when I was in college or majoring and doing a lot of video production and work on in my free time or doing just this play-by-play stuff and continuing to expand. It's definitely a passion. And I think that passion has allowed me to get the opportunities and maybe present myself and my views the way that I, I do now, because it's something I've always been conscious of and something I've always been driving for. Sure. Now you're taping, we're taping this segment here later on Monday evening. You're going to be taping with your guys at 716 right after I don't want to take up too much of your time for that reason. And the singular purpose that I have you on this podcast for this segment today, anyway, at least, is I wanted to talk Jeff Skinner. I just wrapped an interview with Melissa Holmes. I love Melissa, but she's not going to give me any Jeff Skinner takes. You know what I'm saying? And so having you on, man, without potentially influencing your opinion by mine or anyone else's, let me ask you right off the bat here. What's your take? What was your first reaction on the Skinner contract? Eight years, 72 million if we've been following the saga in the media and stuff like that for a while now, I don't think the numbers come in at that much of a surprise, give or take a little bit. It's kind of what we sort of expected, but now that it's a done deal, what's your reaction to that? Well, to answer your first question, my initial reaction was just relief. Uh, the longer that the saga dragged on and the farther we got into this week, it had been a couple of weeks almost since Bob McKenzie tweeted out the deal was all but done. And we right. thought we could take that one to the bank. And now we're sitting here. It gets to be Thursday, gets to be Friday. And we had heard, started to hear some rumblings that if it didn't get done by the weekend, it, it wasn't going to get done at all. So the fact that I see that come across my phone late last Friday night, um, it was just a huge relief. I was they had to do it, in my opinion. And the numbers, you're right. And def, numbers, definitely not a surprise. We knew it was going to be he was shooting for nine mil. The Sabres were trying to keep him maybe eight to eight and a half million you wonder also there's gonna be a full no movement clause now in this contract and maybe that was the last hurdle the last hold up for them if they were back and forth and whether or not they want to agree to give him that but i think at the end of the day if you don't spend that nine million dollars on jeff skinner and you take that nine million dollars to free agency with you you hope that you are able to get someone who plays for your team like jeff skinner played for the buffalo sabers last year and why take the chance on another free agent the sabers history with free agents of late is extremely checkered at that. I mean, what, when was the last time the Sabres brought in a big free agent who was what they hoped he would be? You know, right. Matt Molson, Kyle Lapozo, Vili Leno, these guys come to mind and it's been a while since they've been able to go out and make a splash in free agency. I would much rather they take that $9 million and invest it in Jeff Skinner. And, you know, people see that $72 million number, it jumps off the page to them and they're like, well, that's, that's a huge commitment for a guy who's never played a playoff game in the NHL. But in my opinion, he's one of the few players, if not the only player, who's ever sat next to Jack Eichel on that Sabres team and has made Jack better. Jack makes basically everyone better. Everyone has ever played with Jack Eichel. You look at their stats, they're better when they're on his line. No surprise as to why they're building the franchise around him. But there's not many guys on this team who can finish and make Jack's numbers look better. And I think for that reason, signing Skinner was a huge step. Will it be enough to get the Sabres over the playoff hump? Maybe not by itself. But I think they were in a terrible position if they didn't do it. I do feel like the Sabres had no leverage because of the fact that they're a bottom feeder right now in the NHL. I mean, let's face it, that's a fact. They're one of the worst teams in the league. And if the money was going to be equal somewhere else, if you're Jeff Skinner and you get to free agency and let's just say the Sabres were steadfast that they weren't going to pay him more than eight or maybe eight, three, something like that. And a, and a team that's more accomplished, you know, with, with better weapons besides just one or two guys around him that are winners, you know, they're going to come in with that money. I feel like the Sabres were kind of tied there. And that's kind of like, 
my point is this, the, the franchise, it seems around the league, which we know how that goes. They're, they're getting blasted, at least according to some journalists anyway, that the league perception is that the Sabres got fleeced a little bit, but at the same token, what are you going to do? He's your best goal scorer. Well, him and Eichel are your best two players right now. You can't let him walk. And if you're a team that's that's a perennial loser, like the Sabres have been now in what eight years with no playoffs or whatever it is, you got to pony up this kind of money, or he's gonna he's gonna be gone. They're, I feel like they're I feel like the team's hands were tied, but they had to get this done because, and I'm sure you know this as well as anybody. Had they let Skinner walk, had they decided that they're not going to pay him that money. All bets are off. I, I think the media and the fans would have absolutely piled on this team and destroyed them if they didn't re-sign Skinner. Well, you know, some of, some of the fans weren't happy with the number. You're never going to make 100% of Sabres fans or hockey fans or of any team right. happy all the time. But I, you're, you're exactly right, Pat. I mean, he knew what he was worth. His agent knew what he was worth. He wasn't going to walk away with less than that because a guy like Mark Stone goes to Las Vegas. He's getting $9.5 million now for a track record that isn't really any better than Skinner's. I mean... He knows what he's going to be able to get on the free market. He basically walked to Buffalo. He's like, listen, I can go down the street to any of these teams who have the caps cap money and get my $9 million a year over the next seven years. The Sabres did have the advantage of being able to offer him uh, the eighth year because he's a returning player to the team. But yeah, there's there's no way he was going to be walking out for, for $8 million. There's no kind of discount he's going to take to play for the Sabres. It's not like he's going to play for you know the Capitals or the Penguins or a team that can make another Stanley Cup run next year. I mean, this is a huge step for him to agree to this with the team. I, he definitely worked for the money he thought he was worth. He worked for that no-movement clause, but now he's locked in, and now the question, I think, for the Sabres, in my opinion, becomes, well, what's next? Because it was proven last year that this team with Jeff Skinner still didn't have enough scoring, so they still have to figure out who those other pieces are going to be second and third line wingers around Reinhardt, Middlestat, those kind of players, where do they build now? Because there's still, I don't think, I still don't think this is a playoff team in its current form. Yeah, and with Skinner, you know, 27-year-old, 40-goal scorers, man, they don't grow on trees. I just looked at the stats. There were 13 40-goal scorers last year. Nine million is definitely not a bargain, but at the same token, it's not being fleeced either by the Skinner camp. And plus, the salary cap should go up in future years. And this move doesn't like leave the Sabres exactly cap strapped either. You just mentioned some of the things like what's next. If you were to put on your GM hat right now, you don't necessarily have to name specific players, but what are you looking to do if you're Jason Bottrell over this summer? Because like you said, with Skinner, they still weren't good enough. And there's not, there's not a lot in the, in the pipeline. I mean, they don't help. Postal is definitely going to help a little bit, but overall are not Olsen, What the hell am I saying right there? But outside of the pipeline, one or two guys that might come in, they need to get a little more outside help. What do you think that they're looking to do right now? I mean, for me, it's definitely secondary scoring. I think your top line, which is going to be some combination of Eichel, Skinner, and whether it's Reinhardt or Rodriguez or Olafson or whoever ends up on that top line, that's pretty solid. You can build around that. But your guys like your your Casey Middlestat line needs some needs some help. Your third line definitely needs some help. There's not a lot of guys on this team that I feel tied to, and there's a lot of guys who have been on this team for a very long time who might, you know, the Larsons and the Zemigas Gergensons of the world. Maybe it's time you you look at them real long and hard and see whether or not they have a place on this team. The top of the lineup is getting there. You got Jack, you've got Skinner, you've got Darlene, you've got Reinhardt, but there's it's so top heavy this lineup and if a team's able to shut down the top line you're done 
and defenses and coaches can plan to play against Skinner and Jack. So what you really need is another couple lines who can draw top defensive assignments, draw tough minutes for the other team, and make by doing so, you make the life of Jack Eichel and Jeff Skinner so much easier because they don't have to face the other team's number one defensive pair every single time they hit the ice. And Skinner's a guy who, I mean, on top of what he's done, he's only missed three games in the last four seasons. There's an old saying that goes, the best ability is availability. If you're not on the ice, then what are you able to do for your team? He's a guy who tore, looked like he tore his knee up in a game that I was at last year, and everyone started going into panic mode, came back and finished the game. He's a very tough, strong goal scorer, but you need more of it now. I think you need second and third line wingers, especially maybe a third line center. If there's someone who's out there or a second line center, depending on what your opinion is, if you're, if you're Jason Bottle, or what your opinion is of Casey Middlestat. And then maybe a little bit more fleshing out on the defense. You hope that Lawrence pilot, maybe now that there's a coaching change, Lawrence pilot doesn't get sent down for every little mistake he makes next year. And he can be up here with, with Darlene, maybe, now, Ristolainen doesn't have to play so many top minutes all the time and can settle into a more second or third pair role where I think he will excel. Maybe they look to moving Ristolainen. I don't think those rumors are going away. And the final thing you have to think about is what's your goaltending situation for next year? Do you think that Carter Hutton and Linus Olmark are the answers of the future? Or do you start maybe looking towards Ukapakalukanen and maybe starting to make that transition here as well? Yeah, one last skitter thing here too, by the way. For critics out there, you know, we had a 40-goal season and he gets all this money. I would say that it's not like he was a bum before last season. He did have 37, 33, 31, and 28 goal seasons prior to last year. So he knows how to find the back of the net. But just for the sake of discussion here, okay, and you want to play devil's advocate, let me ask you this as we start to wind down here. Last year, he did score three goals over his last three games, two in his last game to get to 40. But prior to that, he did go a stretch where he had only one goal over his 22 games. How much of that do you think was just because of the total team collapse? And I'm sure that weighed on him physically and mentally as well, just being completely frustrated or say on a scale of one to 10, how much does that worry you that a guy's getting paid $9 million who went through a stretch of 22 games last year with just one goal? It's a two or a three for me for a couple of reasons. Uh, One being that that stretch followed that injury we just talked about where I'm not convinced that he was 100% for any of that stretch. He was out there playing, but I wonder how much of just a little bit of speed, a little bit of side-to-side movement he lost because of that knee twist that he played through. Secondly, for me, I knew when Jeff Gittin was coming in, he's been a streaky goal scorer his entire career. He'll go on tears where he is unstoppable like that during that 10-game win streak. He kept scoring all those big goals. He was a world, a world beater. Absolutely no goaltender could contain him. But he's like a streaky shooter. He's hot and he's cold. Some games he can't buy a goal. He'll miss the net. If he's getting 40 goals over 82 games, I, you're right. I, I would rather he score consistently. But if he's scoring 80, 40 goals over 82 games, I don't care if he misses 10 games at a time sometimes because those goals look the same to me at the end of the day. Okay. One last Sabres question here, and then I'm going to let you go. Ralph Kruger, what's your take on him as head coach? What did you? Are you surprised that that's who they went with? And what are your thoughts on him? I am surprised that's who they went with because he doesn't fit the mold of who they've been hiring as head coaches over the the new regime. But at least so far, and it's hard to say having never seen him coach the team, but I've liked what he has said in his conferences and what he has said to the media. He appears to be willing to think a little bit outside of the box. And that's been something I've been wanting from Sabres coaches for a little while is just not feel tied to you know, the old school hockey mentality. Use analytics, like work with the players you have, use their talents and abilities. 
there is a lot of raw talent on this team, and I feel like over the last couple of years, Sabres fans have not been able to see any of it. I like what he's what he brings to the table. I am encouraged to see what he'll do with it, but a little bit too early to grade overall. But I'm I am excited for it. I think he is a good hire. Best choice they could have made, especially given who was already off the market. And I hope that he brings what he said to how he coaches the team. What do you guys got going on this week with the 716 Sports Podcast? People will be, as they're listening to this, that'll be out as well. Do you guys, do you know what you got going on yet? Or are you going to find out when you walk into the, yeah, to the no, recording can, session got, with a beer? Yeah, no, so I, we got a little bit of it. So uh, we're going to talk about the FC Buffalo game that happened this past Friday. They beat their rival, Erie Commodores, for the first time in a while. Shut them out 2-0. So we're going to talk about that. Uh, we're going to talk about Skinner a little bit, but mostly our focus is going to be looking at the money, looking at available free agents, and what do we think the Buffalo Sabres should do moving forward. So we're going to take a deep dive on the Buffalo Sabres camp situation, possible available free agents who we think might be a good fit for the team. All right, man. Good stuff. Everyone follow Jeff on Twitter at JeffBoyd716. Check out the 716 Sports Podcast. This week's episode is out right now as you're listening to this. Go find it. Thanks, Jeff, man. This was solid. Solid debut. Awesome. Thanks, Pat, for having me. I look forward to doing this. All right. That will do it for today's episode. Big thank you again to Melissa Holmes, WGRZ-TV Channel 2 in Buffalo. I'll tell you what. I was a little bit nervous only because I haven't had a lot of non-sports people on this guest before, but I should have known better. Melissa was awesome. I knew she would be awesome. One of the more likable talented and popular news media personalities in Buffalo. I almost said sports media there slipped up. It's just what I'm used to saying, but yeah, Melissa was awesome. I really appreciate her time. Also, thanks to my man, Jeff Boyd. I am really looking forward to doing more segments with him in the future, whether it's Buffalo Sabres talk. He's definitely going to be my Sabres guy going forward, and I'm sure we'll have plenty of other things that we can hit on as well. Coming up on Friday's episode, I have WROC-TV Sports Director in Rochester, Thad Brown. He's going to be my guest. We'll talk about his career. I'm sure we'll have plenty of Buffalo Bills talk as well. Guys, if you haven't done so already, please subscribe to this podcast. When you subscribe, new episodes automatically get sent directly to your phone or to your computer within just minutes of the release. I have a new show every Tuesday and every Friday. And the benefit of subscribing is that you'll get that episode before anyone else does. Also, if you could take a quick second, rate and review the show. I say it pretty much every time at the end of the podcast because it's true. Doing so, it really, really helps me grow this podcast tremendously. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Spotify, pretty much anywhere that future award-winning podcasts are found. Last but not least, don't forget to follow me on Twitter at Pamaran Tweets. Thanks again for listening. I truly appreciate each and every single one of you having a guest like Melissa Holmes on today. I am I'm working on trying to go beyond just sports all the time. I like to mix in some interesting personalities as well. Melissa was definitely one of them. Anyway, again, thanks for tuning in. Come back Friday. We'll have plenty to talk about. I'll catch you on the flippity flip. Bye.